work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C. and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And uh, we had an election yesterday in Virginia, of all places, and that was pretty good. But uh, um, I uh, didn't really know who I was voting for, and uh, I actually had to... uh, um, yeah, I wasn't following Virginia politics all that well, and I didn't even know it was yesterday. That's how uh, out of the loop I was um, on that. You know, my thing is more like national politics and issues. And it came up on me, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm in District 8, and I need to, uh, you know, I'm in Arlington inside the Beltway. But uh, in any case, um, to bring you the latest on what happened in uh, Virginia and Georgia and Alabama and their runoffs, uh, we're going to go ahead and play a little bit of a clip from uh, Fox and Friends. And uh, let's take a listen. Griff Jenkins is live with a look at the results right now from our nation's capital. Hey, Griff. Good morning, Steve Ainsley and Brian. If there was any one theme, it is a big night for GOP women. They won in multiple states and in some vulnerable Democrat backyards. Let's start in the Commonwealth of Virginia with a winner that will join you in just a moment. Police officer Yesley Vega advancing in the crowded 7th District GOP primary. She'll now face incumbent Democrat Abigail Spanberger in November. Now, it's one of two Virginia seats that Republicans see as key opportunities to win back the House majority. The other race is in Virginia's second congressional district, where state senator and former Navy helicopter pilot Jen Kiggins won the nod. She'll now look to unseat incumbent Democrat Elaine Luria, also a fellow Navy veteran. Now, Kiggins says her mission now is clear. Watch. Will be to educate voters about her voting record and tie her to Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden's failed policies uh, and disastrous policies and what they've done to America. Down in Alabama, the tide was rolling with Trump back Katie Britt in that runoff race, defeating six-term Congressman Mo Brooks, who initially had Trump's endorsement but then lost it. Britt now faces Democratic candidate Will Boyd in November. If elected, she'll be the first woman to represent Alabama in the Senate. 
Alabama has spoken. We want new blood. We want fresh blood. We want someone who will fight for our Christian conservative values, who will fight for the freedoms and liberty this nation was founded on. But in Georgia, things didn't go so well for Trump-backed Vernon Jones, taking a beating by nearly 50 points by trucking company tycoon Mike Collins. Collins is promising to fight for constitutional rights and defeat big government. He'll face Democrat Tabitha Johnson-Green, you see here, in November. Finally, here in D.C., Muriel Bowser won the Democrat primary for mayor. If elected, she'll become the only other three-term mayor of D.C. besides mayor for life. Steve, you'll remember... Marion Barry. <laughs> so there's a lot to unpack there. Um, a couple of things. I think Vernon Jones losing, especially by the margin that he lost in Georgia, tells me there's some flaky stuff going on in Georgia. Uh, because Vernon Jones was a rock star among Trump supporters, and Georgia was a, a hotbed of Trump supporters. So, you know, I have two brothers that live in Georgia. And they tell me that's Trump country, where they live. Now, maybe not in Atlanta, but I have another brother in the South, South, and it's Trump country. Now, the thing is with uh, Georgia, for Vernon Jones to lose the way he did, you know, he's black. He converted from being a Democrat to a Republican. And he's been, you know, uh, a stalwart Trump supporter. And to me, he seems like a hard candidate for the left to beat. And so I think that somehow that I my gut feeling, and this is just my own speculation, is is that the Democrats manipulated the outcome. And the guy Collins with major deep pockets, I think, did what Kemp did or Raffensperger did. And that is to buy their way onto the top of their ticket so that they can then do whatever they want with Stacey Abrams. I, I can't see Kemp beating Stacey Abrams again. Supposedly he beat her last time, and that's great. You know, it's, Georgia's better to not have Stacey Abrams. But Stacey Abrams has been trying to uh, get herself into the governor, governor's mansion in Georgia for a long, long time. And as soon as I heard about this outcome with Vernon Jones, the first thing that ran through my mind was that it seemed fishy to me. Like that outcome does not ring true. And, and then you read over in the Gateway Pundit headlines. You read them headlines like, something strange happened in Georgia. Vernon Jones is latest Trump-endorsed candidate to lose runoff election in the Peach State. A clean sweep for never Trump. In Georgia? In Georgia. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? I don't believe that's the case at all. I can't. I, don't, I believe that as much as I believe Joe Biden got 81 million votes. What say you on that? I mean, I just think that something else has to be going on. That just defies logic. That's like saying, you know, up is down and the sky is purple. So in 2016, Donald Trump won the state of Georgia 50.4% to 
45.3%. Now, I remember them talking about this with like utmost confidence. Stacey Abrams is on record as saying things like, I mean, Stacey Abrams is not the sharpest tool in the shed, but she's slick when it comes to cheating, in my opinion. But she predicted, she said, we may not get there in 2016, but in 2020, Georgia is going to flip. And uh, and then, you know, she basically said it's uh, it's gone the other way now. Georgia is a blue state. But you have all this election fraud. So in 2016, Donald Trump won the state of Georgia 50.4% to 45.3%. That's a five percentage point. I don't understand how you lose six percent, except for the fact that they got all these illegals flooding into Georgia to impact the demographics. And you had weak governors selling out to China, like Governor Kemp, who basically, like Mr. Magoo, just put blinders on and, and didn't even want to put up a fight because he was so busy greasing his palms and going to the country club. That southern country club white guy. That white Republican that takes the money and sells out his country. Not, not, not really considering how much damage losing Georgia to a, uh, to a blue state has become. And it goes to show you also that these inner city in your inner cities are having an impact and the amount of people that are flooding into our country actually are bigger than the size of Atlanta and if you put two Atlantas in Georgia which they did illegally and then got them to vote and it's, it's, it didn't work this way until they got mail-in balloting. And they did all the shenanigans that they did. Republicans won the state in every presidential election since 1992 when Bill Clinton took the state thanks to Ross Perot. And when they say thanks to Ross Perot, they mean because Ross Perot took a lot of the Herbert Walker Bush votes and split them up so that uh, Bill Clinton, who would not have beaten George Herbert Walker Bush on his own. So you could almost say that's an anomaly. And you could say that Georgia hasn't gone Democrat since Jimmy Carter, really, in all honesty. Republicans won the state in every presidential election since 1992, when Bill Clinton got the gift from Ross Perot. In 2020, President President increased his votes in the state by 372,000 votes, meaning it became more Trump country, not less. So President Trump got 372,000 more votes than he did in 2016 in Georgia. Because people just loved what he was doing and believed in him. So Joe Biden, 
who did not campaign in Georgia won 596,000 more votes than Hillary Clinton did in 2016. That's 600,000 more illegals flooding into Georgia to steal Georgia. And I don't even think those illegals voted. I don't think they voted. I think that they were given an ID. Uh, And not only that, but you you juxtapose it with two different facts, right? The first fact is Hispanics support Joe Biden right now. 23% approve of Joe Biden. Hispanics do. Okay, so that doesn't fly. That would explain why Trump got 372,000 more votes, maybe. Maybe they were all Hispanics. But Joe Biden, getting them, where is he getting those 600,000 votes more than Hillary Clinton, who had, uh, I think, a lot more star power than Joe Biden, who couldn't fill six circles, and did not campaign. And nobody liked him. And so when you look at Joe Biden there, with 600,000, it says 596,000, but let's just say 600,000 votes, more than Hillary. Um, That's a million new voters, too. You know, if Trump got 372,000 and then there's 600, that's 970,000 voters. How do you gain that many voters in a state like Georgia? How do you gain a million new votes in four years? A million new votes in four years. When everybody's moving to Florida, Georgia's growing, but not like Florida. Give me a break. I mean, I'm just spitballing here, but that sounds like a little bit of Stacey Abrams rigging the system. And we already know what they did with the water main shutdown and all kinds of things. In in uh, with the voting machines, and Raffensperger and Sterling and and Kemp, I think that they sold out to China, and I know this because they had this GeorgiaBusiness.cn, which is a Chinese uh, extension for the domain, and they were investing heavily in Georgia, and they're doing the same thing in South Carolina. My father tells me they're buying up golf courses and they're letting them. They're letting the golf courses overflow with weed. Like they're not taking care of the courses. They're just, they're going to plow them over and they're going to build condominiums and stuff. And they're just going to be buying up our land and making tons of money and jacking up the price of housing. Everything we don't want is foreign influence. Is like a war, but it's not a war with a machine gun. It's a war of socioeconomics. It's a war of globalist money injected into small towns throughout America, not only to gentrify and lose its identity, the charm that once was of this whatever town it is. You know, you go to a town, you barely even know what town you're in anymore. There's a subway over here. There's an Exxon over there. There's a there's a Gap over here, a TJ Maxx over here, a Marshalls, a Walmart. You can't tell. Everything is the same. There's a Home Depot over there. You know, 
it's just gentrified. And, and it's happening in Europe, too. It used to be that you would go to Europe and you would feel like you're in Europe. And now, you know, with these fast food operations everywhere and Home Depots and Lowe's, and you barely know where you are anymore. The globalists are profiting from this at the expense of what used to be planning and zoning, where there would be some maintenance of aesthetics. That sort of all went out the window in the 1970s when the new architecture came in. So it was an amazing result for a candidate who did not campaign in the state, and when he did, he could only fill out 10 circles. Right. That's, that's Joe Biden. There's picture after picture of him having, you know, basically standing in front of a barn or walking out on the lawn. And there's these white chairs in white circles. And everybody thought that was stupid. And they couldn't even fill all the circles. We now know the ballot traffickers pushed Joe Biden over the top with ten, tens of thousands of illegal votes in 2020. But that doesn't explain 2022. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who could not win his own district as a representative to the state convention, surprisingly won his primary two weeks ago over popular Republican with 52% of the vote. Raffensperger was polling, polling around 25%. Raffensperger is also a committed never-Trumper who was caught lying about a call President Trump had with him back in December 2022. Raffensperger frequently at- attacks Trump and his supporters. On Tuesday, Raffensperger smeared President Trump in front of Liz Cheney's J6 show trial. But Raffensperger won his primary with 52% of the vote to prevent a runoff. That does not sound ridiculous when he got polled at 25%. Brian Kemp, who was booed at the state convention, surprisingly won his primary in Georgia after a rally with Mike Pence by 74% to 22%. Brian Kemp, 74%. Add on Tuesday to make sure there wasn't a runoff because you don't want to cheat tw- have to cheat twice. And on Tuesday, popular conservative and Trump supporter Vernon Jones was just who just months ago would receive a rock star's welcome at rallies, lost to his opponent, Mike Collins. Vernon Jones lost his race 76 to 24. That's like the same algorithm where Brian Kemp lost. I mean, Brian Kemp won. And this guy, Mike Collins, I've never heard of him. Apparently, he's got deep pockets. And I think that what they're doing is buying Democrat operatives to win their primaries and then roll over, just like um, uh, the two Senate candidates rolled over in 2020 in their runoffs with the Democrats. Stacey Abrams and Dominion Voting Machines have to be involved in this. This does not make sense. I, I, and I don't know why we can't prove it. But they got, a, they got a foolproof system you cannot disprove. Because there's a chain of custody uh, issue somewhere along the way. 
So Georgia was a clean sweep against President Trump and his supporters. And I, like I said, I have two brothers in Georgia, and they're telling me it's not that 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 doesn't make sense either to them. So Georgia was a clean sweep against Trump. If he want, if we want to believe the numbers, Trump only has twenty four percent support from the conservatives in the state. Only twenty four percent of Republicans in Georgia support President Trump. That's what we are supposed to believe. We know the machines they use that Brad Raffensperger purchased are able to be breached and manipulated. You know, the custodian and the police officer that oversees the voting machines is Raffensperger. He's the guy. He's the attorney general. A recent government report confirmed all of this. So, I don't know, but it smells like a rat to me. That Raffensperger report smells really, really far left. I mean, far-fetched. So, open records request for emails between Brad Raffensperger and Taiwan immigrant finally received, but were 90% redacted. What's going on? What's so important that you would redact all of Raffensperger's uh, connections with Taiwan. Self-proclaimed man of integrity, Brad Raffensperger, doesn't want Americans to know what the what he re, what he really knows. A request for emails between Raffensperger and a Taiwan immigrant was finally returned, but ninety percent of the documents were redacted. What's going on? Brad Raffensperger became famous for his actions in certifying the twenty twenty election in Georgia. For Joe Biden, despite impossible results that Raffensperger himself said were weren't possible the day after the 2020 election, a few days later, Raffensperger certified the election in the state for Joe Biden. Raffensperger was provided evidence of tens of thousands of ballots counted in the state's 2020 results between uh, being invalid or fraudulent, and be and he ignored the data and certified the election. Look, folks, even the Pennsylvania Supreme Court signed off on it uh, in violation of law. Their liberal Supreme Court, Pennsylvania's Supreme Court, said that uh, when uh, McCormick was testing against Oz, wanted all the votes counted, no matter if they were signed properly, no matter if there was a chain of custody, no matter if there was a date stamp, meaning even though you couldn't prove what the date was of the origin of the envelope uh, when it was mailed. Uh, you couldn't prove who it belonged to and because there was no signature. It wasn't done correctly. The Pennsylvania legislature said it's unlawful to count that vote. The Supreme Court said it's lawful to count that vote. So now where that goes from here, I don't know. But how can a Supreme Court basically say, here's, a, here's a, a blank envelope. Someone fills it out after they already know what, how many votes they need after the results are in, and they put it in the mail, and it gets counted three days later. I mean, you know, how do you win an election where the loser, the Democrats, already know the number that they need because they already saw what came in that night 
And they're like, okay, we need X amount of mail-in ballots. Get busy, folks. We're going to work all night. And we're going to send these in the first thing in the morning, the next morning. Put them in the mailbox or the drop box or whatever box that wasn't picked up and counted yet. And we're going to stuff them. And we're going to fill them up. I mean, that's, that's absolutely insane. And yet... Still, I mean, the Supreme Court won't weigh in on it. The Supreme Court's going to weigh in on many things today, tomorrow. People thought they were going to weigh in on uh, Roe v. Wade yesterday. That's why they were protesting all over uh, the Supreme Court, the Democrats, who are going to lose this one. And it's going to be uh, really a win because the states will be empowered to make up their own laws and make up their own minds and all politics should be more local. So it's good. Roe v. Wade was a flawed decision. The Raffensburger held, uh, then Raffensburger held a phone call with President Trump with questions he never addressed. By doing so, he told the president and the American people to jump off a bridge, the president of the United States. Today, Raffensperger spoke in front of the unconstitutional kangaroo court labeled January, the January 6th committee. Raffensperger is not innocent. It wasn't today, by the way, but Raffensperger is not innocent of election crimes. He's part of it, but that isn't why he, has, he was there. He was there in an effort to accuse President Trump of wrongdoing for daring to suggest that the election results in Georgia should be fair should be fair and tra- transparent. Raffensperger doesn't care what anything thinks he is in so deep. Today, it was reported that copies of emails Raffensperger uh, uh, had were um, connected with Taiwan. The Georgia record re, record CD media spent close to $1,000 for open records requests in the state of Georgia, asked for communications between Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and this guy named Jay Lin, a Taiwan immigrant who was at uh, a Johns Creek's city councilman and then was appointed by government Governor Brian Kemp to his transition team, and then the Georgia State Properties Commission, which was influenced over the Savannah port. We have shown circumstantial uh, connections between Jay Lin and the Chinese Communist Party. The results of the open records request were returned over six months later due to COVID, of course, they're blaming COVID for the delay, and startlingly, startlingly, the documents received are 90% blacked out. There are hundreds of pages in 2,700-page PDF received that are completely redacted. So what's going on with Raffensperger? Why is he hiding documents that are legally to be provided in open records requests? Why would Raffensperger be working with the CCP? You know, there's no explanation as to why these things would be Redacted. Because anything with the public, uh, taxpayers, cannot, the, the, tax, the public taxpayers need to be privileged to these documents. These aren't private deals uh, <clears throat> sealed by confidentiality. 
This isn't a legal brief or this isn't a business contract where you're entitled to some level of privacy. This is a public document obtained by open source records. And that's how it was. That's how it went down. So, so uh, we we got to get to the bottom of what's happening in Georgia. So here we go. Senators come to final agreement on gun control. Here are the fourteen GOP senators who voted to advance the bill. All right. So let's see. We have a list of fourteen senators. They're the usual suspects. And then here's Cornyn. They're going to probably pass this thing. That's the that's the scary that's the scary part of it, right here. Let's take a listen to to Cornyn. Details. Is it the Hyde Amendment? It's uh, uh, right here, complicated. What's right your question? Do you think we could get bill text today? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully uh, shortly. What's the hang up? Details. Is it the Hyde Amendment? It's a uh, complicated bill, and uh, it's been a tough negotiation. Senator, you were booed over the weekend at the RNC conference in Texas. What's your reaction to that? What did that? What was that like? Um, well, I'm, I'm all for people exercising their First Amendment rights. Do you? Has it made these negotiations over the gun deal more difficult? I, what? Has it made these negotiations over the gun legislation more difficult? Having gotten that reaction? Oh no, I, 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 um, no, it hasn't. Has it changed your thinking on how you get other Republicans on board this bill? Has it created hesitancy? No. What's the question? He doesn't care. Uh, Senator Cornyn does not care about Texans. How people keep reelecting these people is beyond me. And I just popped up. Democrats use the FBI against their political opponents and they will use red flag laws against you. Of course, yeah. Of course, that's the case. Um, you know, red flag laws are just another chip away at chain of custody, due process. You know, it's just as soon as there's that gap, as soon as there's that big, huge leap, uh, you have to be concerned. Um so here are the 14 Republican senators. Okay, so uh, Roy Blunt, I guess from Missouri. They don't have the states here, but uh, uh, Richard Burr from North Carolina. Um, Bill Cassidy from, Cassidy from Louisiana. Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia. Susan Collins from Maine. John Cornyn from Texas. Joni Ernst from Iowa. Lindsey Graham from South Carolina, Mitch McConnell from Kentucky, Lisa Murkowski. Wow. She's up for election um, in August 16th in Alaska. Um, Lisa Murkowski's on the... Rob Portman from Ohio, Mitt Romney from Utah, Tom Tillis from North Carolina. North Carolina has two senators that are on this bill. There's only two senators, folks. And Todd Young. And frankly, I don't know where Todd Young's from. Um, but uh, all the rest I did. So 13 out of the 14, I knew where the states they were from. But um, wow. There's a lot of names on there that actually don't surprise me. But when you when you take a look at that, Roy Blunt, Richard Burr, 
Shelley Moore Capito, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, John Cornyn, Joni Ernst, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, Lisa Murkowski, Rob Portman, Mitt Romney, Tom Tillis, and Todd Young all supported and endorsed red flag laws, which means that a Democrat can basically act like Jesse Smollett and say you lynched him, even when you didn't. Just make it up out of whole cloth. And guess what? You're not going to be able to get a, eligible for, to get a gun. And you better believe that that thing is going to divide Americans and have Americans tattling on everybody. And it's going to be the de- Democrats that are going to be milking this for all it's worth. And they're, in essence, going to, without passing, uh, without a, uh, without, well, it, it would have to be tested. But somehow... They're going to skirt around the Second Amendment because they can't get the Second Amendment repealed, obviously. And so this is just a workaround to take away and chip away at your Second Amendment rights. And they're about to do it. And the Senate is the tough hurdle. It's the House of Representatives controlled by Nancy Pelosi that's going to go gangbusters. Now, if anything, the Senate bill may not go far enough. You know, it was kind of interesting, the election in D.C. last night, where um, uh, the uh, incumbent mayor, Mariel Bowser, is the one calling for too much police. They have three other black candidates, it's like all black, and they're saying, basically, we need to defund the police. We need to... Uh, take away your guns. We need to do all these things. Muriel Bowser basically was one of the biggest defund the police people. She painted Black Lives Matter Marxists uh, up and down Pennsylvania Avenue on tax conservative taxpayer dollars expense to fundraise for the Liberal Party and Act Blue. And this is what Muriel Bowser did. And when you think about it, She was the conservative of the bunch. She was the conservative of the bunch in the D.C. mayoral race. Mayoral race. Pretty crazy, isn't it? You know, there is one bastion of hope out of Georgia. Marjorie Taylor Greene came and she gave some really good... She gave some really good analysis. Um on the uh, House floor. And this one, she says, Marjorie Taylor Greene accuses Democrats, chief of staff, of targeting and harassing her. So let's take a listen to this. In order to have a justice system that is fair and good and one that the American people can trust, it should be a justice system that prosecutes crime just because it's a crime, not based on a political party, not based on does it match up with the, the ideas or, or policies they agree with or the president that's in the White House or whoever's speaker of the House or whoever's in leadership. It should matter that it's a crime and they should prosecute these crimes. But unfortunately, that's not happening. So I did find out who this person is and it's reported in the news. I did find out that it's Representative Jake Oshenkloss, Chief of Staff. His Chief of Staff is the person that has been consistently attacking the sign, 
targeting me, harassing me. This is a chief of staff. This isn't like a low-level staffer. This isn't an intern. This is a chief of staff that's had quite a career here working in this institution who knows better. As a matter of fact, he fully believes that you shouldn't harass anyone over their religion or their gender or, or their sex or any of these things. He definitely believes in hate crimes because previously, when he worked in another member's office, when he was chief of staff in that office, there was a man that yanked down their pride flag outside their office, yanked it down and, and mistreated it. Well, Tim Hysom, the chief of staff at Jake Oshenkloss's office, who has been targeting harassing me, was so offended at that action that they chased, he and the other staff, chased that man down the hall. They wanted the Capitol Police to arrest him and prosecute him. They wanted him prosecuted. But yet, Tim Hysom, chief of staff for Jake Oshenkloss, feels he's completely above the law, and he feels and says that my sign saying there's only two genders, male and female, he says it's a statement of hate, and therefore he's entitled to attacking me for it. You see, that is complete hypocrisy. That is not the way this works. Why is one above the other? It shouldn't be. I thought in America, aren't we all equal? Aren't all of our beliefs protected? Isn't our speech protected? Why is my religion under attack? Why is Christianity under attack? Why is my belief in defending women and girls' privacy rights and sports, why is that wrong, but yet it's okay for him to defend the pride flag and be angered and upset and want to arrest and prosecute someone when they attack it? Two-tier justice system. This is a man that I don't know. He doesn't know me. I didn't know who he was until a few weeks ago. I had no idea. I don't, and, you know, for a time, I've been in my, build, my office building many times late at night. But I don't go there by myself anymore because of this man right here. I don't know if he's one of the death threats that have called my office. I don't know if he's one of the people that mail in disgusting, horrible things to me in my office. I don't know what else he would do because he feels he's above the law and beyond reproach. I also don't understand why his boss, Representative Jake Oshenkloss, still has him employed. Because I'll tell you right now, if anyone in my office, if any of my staff were to do what he has been doing to another member of Congress, they would be fired. And my staff would never do it. Since early, early on in our term, when my colleague across the hall from me attacked me on Twitter by starting on my nameplate and turning the camera to herself where she planted the trans flag, no one in my office, none of my staff has touched her flag, nor would we, because we respect her freedom of speech and her right to have it there. We would not touch it. But that's not how I have been treated. Think about that. That's exactly right. You remember uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene had this. Uh, uh, sorry, folks. Uh, so um, Marjorie Taylor Greene had this uh, situation where uh, there was a woman. I, I, I can't remember the uh, congresswoman's name, but uh, 
put a flag up, a rainbow flag up, as if that's, you know, you know, okay, you know, I like sex with the same person, you know, the same gender. Okay, it's a choice. You have a sexual choice. Great. Keep it in the bedroom, you know. I don't need to know about your sexual choices. Just don't need to know it. And that's what I believe this LBGTQ thing is all about. I mean, truly what it is, if you crystallize it down, it's a sexual choice brought about by social behavior that was learned. That's my belief, and I'll have that debate. And I'm sure there are other valid arguments and great arguments that people can make, but that's my belief. It's a learned social behavior. You're not born a certain way. Everybody has different bodily chemistry. But I believe, and you, and, and it leads to different persuasions, but I think a lot of this is learned. That's why in San Francisco you have so many more trans families and, and LBGTQ people because it's about your peers and about how you're persuaded by your surroundings. And the Democrats know this, and that's why they want to groom your children in schools. Because they know that the 10-year-old is going to be voting, not in the next election cycle, but the election cycle after that. Eight years from now. So not in 2020, um, you know, right now, an eight-year-old, right now, an eight-year-old is not going to vote in uh, 2024 for Trump or for whoever, right? So... They're not going to vote in 2028 uh, either, but they'll vote in 2032. An eight-year-old today, he is a 2032 voter. And I could say the same thing about the 10-year-old, uh, you know, on 2024. You know, it's just one miss. It's 2028 it would be the only election they won't vote in. And then they'll vote in 2032. And they're grooming these people with these trans work-study groups and all kinds of stuff. It's absolutely ridiculous. And Disney threw their corporate money at it and gave them a lot of fuel and attention. And they tried to go after uh, DeSantis. And they spun and lied about, you know, don't say gay. It wasn't even about the word gay. You know, it's all that stuff. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, had this beef with the woman across the hallway from her with the rainbow flag, but she never violated, uh, you know, she never um, tore the flag down or anything like that. You know the Democrats would do that. I remember I was in Philly. I parked my car. I had a yellow ribbon and said, support our troops. My car got keyed. My car got egged on different occasions. I got keyed, I got egged, and another time they took the yellow ribbon off and they put a black barbed wire ribbon in place of it. It was like a magnet. And, you know, you just, that's what liberals do. They're violent people, they're intolerant people. I know many, many people that got fired from their jobs because they supported Trump and they didn't like Hillary. 
I know many people that got fired for their jobs personally. And it's just a shame. There ought to be a law. But political uh, discrimination isn't as protected as other kinds of discrimination. But I know this firsthand. And it's just unbelievable. And that's why I said for years, Democrats get two tracks to the top of the pyramid in their corporate career. Because the Republican boss isn't going to punish them for their Democrat beliefs. But the Democrat boss not only is going to go through a hiring filtration process, and if they look at their Facebook page and they see that they're conservative, they're not going to get hired. I don't believe that's the case the other way. If the person's a liberal, okay, they're a liberal, but they, you know, I'm going to hire them on the merits of what their career path is. But they don't get hired because they're discriminated against, firstly. And secondly, if they're outed as being a conservative, they're fired. So for a conservative to make it up the corporate ladder, now that we have all these woke corporations, they're going to have to make sure that they get a boss that is a conservative boss that can tolerate their beliefs. Their patriotic beliefs. And that is discouraging. That is actually, you know, think about that for a second. Think about how ridiculous and how wrong that is. It's absolutely wrong. So we got another Marjorie Taylor Greene clip that I wanted to uh, share with you. And uh, this one is uh, Steve Colbert. And uh, for some reason... I think I lost it. It it flipped. Let's see here. He says it's a statement oh, of Oh, right hate. here. Okay. All right. I got it. No worries. All right. Here we go. So this is an extension of the clip you just heard, but it gets into Stephen Colbert film crew of basically stalking me all day. She talks, tells that story. Let's take a listen. There's been more things that have happened. I mean, I feel like it's almost like high school mean girl behavior. But this is supposed to be Congress. Well, we also had a situation on June 16th, just last week. There was a certain uh, film crew that works for Stephen Colbert. Had been basically uh, stalking me all day long, going throughout, following us around here. My staff was very helpful in putting me in the car and keeping me away from them. They ended up outside my office. My staff took me somewhere else so I didn't have to go there. But then now we find out that it was a, a certain Democrat member who's serving on the January 6th committee who let him in the buildings. And then when the Capitol Police threw him out, it also happened to be Congressman Jake Oshenkloss and Tim Heisom's staff that let them back in late at night. And you know whose office they were going to? Mine, my office. So this is, this is more behavior where I feel, I, f I don't feel safe. I feel like my life is constantly threatened. I'm constantly harassed. And this is no way for anyone to have to do work here. This place should not be run like this. This shouldn't be allowed. 
Now, while the January 6th committee is currently accusing one of my colleagues, Representative Barry Loudermilk, of giving tours, which is a lie about him, they are lying about him and saying he did something he did not do. They, at the same time, were letting these people in all in our office buildings. Who We don't even know where all they went, but they know, and the Capitol Police know. They were allowing them to go everywhere as if they're doing some sort of insurrection. Why is that being allowed? Why do they get to have tours and free reign running all around the hallways and attacking members' offices? But then we get accused of something horrible? This is wrong. This, you know what people care about? People care about inflation. They can't afford groceries. Mothers can't find baby formula. Women can't find tampons. People can't afford gas. People are so upset about crime. People are so upset that no one cares that we even have a border. These are the things that people care about. They don't care about the petty, ridiculous garbage that happens in this place. But this is what we're dealing with because the Department of Justice will not prosecute any of these crimes. And it's all about politics. Isn't, aren't politics disgusting? I'm so sick and tired of politics. The whole reason why I ran for Congress is because I was upset that we're a nation in, in debt that we'll never be able to repay. And I have three children, and I hope to God I have grandchildren. And I don't know what's going to happen to their lives. I was upset because our economy is so fragile and at risk of crumbling. I was upset because our nation had been shut down over a virus, and we should have never been shut down. I was upset because I feel like we have the greatest country in the world, but it's this place that doesn't respect it. And the American people, I respect them far more than I respect this institution because the American people work their tails off. They pay their taxes. They balance their checkbooks, and they do everything they can to get by. But here, we play political games. We're chiefs of staffs who know better attack women over our religious beliefs and about the fact that we refuse to back down about there being only being two genders. Amen. All right, so let's take a listen to Jim Jordan real quick. We're running out of time, but... Here we go. To know the same question you asked, we'd like to know who to these individuals are, what, what, what happened to them, what exactly they were charged with, and maybe most importantly, what the video shows. But I think kind of the, the real takeaway is I thought the January 6th committee was supposed to be the most important investigation, the most solemn, serious committee in the history of the republic. If that's the case, then why are they working with some comedy crew, letting them in to videotape whatever they were going to videotape and letting them in the Capitol complex illegally? So uh, I think that's a question. This this whole double standard and this idea that they get to have it both ways drives me crazy, you crazy, and I think all the folks who are watching drives them crazy as well. Yeah, I mean, you invite these guys in, they make a spectacle, and he might have wanted them to get arrested, Colbert, right? Just like the January 6th yeah. protesters, maybe this was a big stunt to get these guys, this comic dog, arrested so they could put the little skit on late night and then maybe have a better shot of beating Gutfeld. 
Yeah, but, here, yeah, but here's the real irony. They accuse a colleague of mine, Barry Loudermilk, of conducting a reconnaissance tour. The Capitol Hill chief of police uh, was asked to look into this. He sent a letter to the House administration Republicans uh, on, on that committee. And in that letter, he said there was nothing that was in any way could be viewed as any kind of reconnaissance or surveillance. Nothing suspicious whatsoever was one of the statements he used. So complete exoneration. But the, the January 6th committee just doubled down and says, oh, no, we don't believe what the Capitol Hill police chief said. We still think that happened. And yet then just a couple days later, this happens. They let people in illegally. They get arrested for doing a surveillance, doing some kind of reconnaissance. That, to me, is the real irony here. And I think the interesting thing is if you go back to what happened to Barry Loudermilk, to our, our colleague, we only get to see a little bit of the, all the evidence this committee sees. And yet we have caught them. And just that little bit of evidence we get, we have caught them in major lies. We caught them lying about me in a text message I had forwarded to the chief of staff at the White House. We catch them in this lie about uh, uh, Congressman Loudermilk. Imagine what other things they're telling us that, that aren't accurate based on all the information we don't get to see. So that's, I think, a big concern that we have is all that information. We never get to access to the documents. And yet we don't know what they're what, what that's all based on. How many other lies are they telling? If we've caught them in just a couple with the limited amount of information we are privy to. All right. Well, we're not going to let this go. They're not going to pull a Paul Pelosi on us. We're going to get the mug shots. If I have to go to the Capitol Police chief myself, we'll get it. Yeah, Paul Pelosi, right? Oh, man. Yeah. We can't function as a society with two standards of justice. Uh, that's our last bastion of hope. That's why the Supreme Court is so important. That's why they want to pack the court when it doesn't go their way. That's why the Democrats want to do that. They want to change the rules, change the country. They want to dismantle the Constitution. This is all happening right before our eyes. This is all a byproduct. Uh, this is a connection with or partnership with globalism. And uh, which one comes first? Not, not 100% sure. But it's unelected officials that are actually running the world right now. Klaus Schwab, Larry Fink, all these big corporate heads, these globalist multinational corporations hobnobbing with these globalist politicians that were never elected by the people that they're serving. And this is what you get. Well, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out buglecall.org and magapack, magapack.org to see what we're doing to promote America First policies to make America great again. Also, if you're going to go over to MyPillow.com, be sure to use our promo code to help us out. Red State is the promo code we'd like you to use. And with that, we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. We're a stand, the mound's getting steeper. And grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there.